I think when it comes down to it, I, I wouldn't go so much into trying to empathize, even though that sounds kind of weird to say don't empathize. I would just go with the default of trust. Hello and welcome to React Delivery, the podcast where we discuss everything that isn't covered by Create React App. I'm your host, Conlon Durbin, and I'm joined today by Lindsay Kopak, a React developer, accessibility advocate, and writer over at Ally with Lindsay. Hey. Hi. <laughs> Sorry. How's it going? It's going well. How are good. you doing? I'm doing good. I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. Yeah, so... Well, let's get started. Uh, I'm really excited to be on. Thanks for having me on as your first guest. Yeah, I was trying to think of people that I wanted and you were a great first person. So I am. Yeah. Um, so for the people who don't know, can you give us a little bit of an introduction, who you are, what you do for a living, um, and then maybe just a couple things that you like to do for fun or, you know, whatever. Sure. Uh, so that'll by fun, like coding wise or just whatever. Uh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay. Um, so my name is Lindsay Copez. Um, I've been a developer for about five years. Um, I focus mostly on the front end. It's not apparent with uh, what uh, podcast I'm on. So um, let's see. I started working in Drupal originally, which I don't do anymore. But I actually only stopped doing Drupal like six months ago, which a lot of people don't know. So... Um, I have been doing React, though, um, in combination with Drupal for about two years. So uh, both Vue.js and React, but now I'm applied or employed rather as a React.js developer. Um, so I started working on accessibility, which is more um, in, the, in line with this podcast topic, uh, probably around three years ago. So uh, I remember I just kind of got a ticket to fix these accessibility issues, had no idea what it was even doing um, or if it was even important. Um, like I didn't, I literally had no idea what it was. So I had a pretty rocky start with it. But once I started looking at what it meant, it started getting me super passionate about it. Um, so yeah, I started teaching about it a little bit. I think the way I really started forcing myself to learn is I gave my or I forced myself to give a talk about an introduction to accessibility about three years ago at the Tech Lady Hackathon, which is now um, Tech Rebalanced. And yeah, so I gave that and I learned so much by just teaching it. So I continued to go through the teaching route, which is why I have my blog. And yeah, I guess if there's any follow up questions, I tried to make it short and sweet, but also go into details. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, I'm sure that we will get into more of your background as we go. Uh, so I guess the the real hot topic is why accessibility? Why as a React developer uh, should I care? Yeah, so um, well, when it comes down to it, React renders HTML. I know that a lot of people think that React and JavaScript, or I'm sorry, React and accessibility are at odds, but they really aren't because when it comes down to it, their docs are fantastic. Uh, the React docs for accessibility, that is. And they talk a lot about 
how to render the HTML in an accessible way using semantic HTML and all of that. But when it comes to why we should bother, it really comes down to reach and who is able to use your products. Um, I know there's a lot of legal and business reasons why you should care, but quite frankly, I don't like to go into them because it makes me feel icky because quite frankly, I just think you should be a good person and care about other people being able to access and not excluding them. Um, I can go into the business reasons and the legal reasons, but quite frankly, I come more from the developer perspective and prefer to have developers care about other people. And that's really what I don't want to have to convince people. I don't want to convince people to care because quite frankly, if they don't care, I'm not going to get along with them very much. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my why. Uh, a lot of people should care about accessibility simply because it's the right thing to do. Cool. I love that. I very much agree with you on that. Um, you know, as developers, I think we have a, a specific um, challenge to build products that are, are good and accessible, um, even if the business isn't interested in them. So yeah. I like the way you put that. The interesting thing, too, um, just kind of circling back, is when you write things with accessible code, it's actually easier. Um, so Andy Bell has this like blog posts that I always find hysterical about using about using the, um, the button tag instead of using a div. And he kind of jokes about how you get all of these keyboard events when you use a click event for free. And it just cracks me up every time because he's clearly being uh, sarcastic. Well, not sarcastic, like he's being true, but um, he's performing some satire there because when it comes down to it, if you're a JavaScript developer and you care about accessibility, if you use like a button, then you don't even have to think about like key press events. You can just put a click event on and all of a sudden your button works with the spacebar and the enter key. So it makes it really, really a way better developer experience as well and creates less work in the long run. Yeah, I have had a lot of the same experience. Um you know, coming into projects where some React code was written and they used divs and then swapped into buttons. Uh, it's always a nightmare to try to implement those keyboard events with uh, the the divs and all that kind of stuff. You know, you have all the like add event listeners and all that kind of thing. So yeah, uh, that's super you end, cool. Yeah, you end up writing more code. And not only that, you kind of have to check and be like, what is the key code? Because you don't want it to be on any old key press. You have to check if it's the enter key or the space key. And that's just... It's more work when it comes down to it. Like at the end of the day, developers were trying to optimize our processes. And if we want to make sure that we're optimizing our processes and also giving a better experience to the end user, we're better off using just semantic markup. And honestly, if there's any big takeaway from this podcast and anybody listening gets only one thing from it, it would be please use semantic HTML in your React apps because it will save you so much time and it'll make your life a lot easier. Um, JavaScript and semantic HTML like are just a match made in heaven. Cool. So let's actually dig into that just a little bit more. What is semantic HTML? What, what does that mean? Awesome. Yeah, I love this question. So um, HTML5 has a lot of... Uh, 
a lot of elements that have been coming out and there's more coming out every day. Some aren't as supported as others, but um, the main ones that I can think of are header, main, nav, footer. Did I say footer already? I don't even know. I was just like, um, <laughs> uh, let's see, aside sections, a bunch of, a bunch of different uh, elements that have meanings. Then there's things like buttons um, and forms and inputs. So basically, a lot of people will avoid using semantic HTML because of default uh, browser or browser rendering. So they won't use uh, headers. They won't use uh, buttons like they're supposed to be used because they just don't like the default settings. But the nice thing about it is you can override those really easily with CSS or whatever, CSS and JS or whatever you use. But like with simple styling, you can just, you know, neutralize them and style them however you want. Um, so the beauty of using them is they all have default properties and behaviors that come with them. So it saves you a lot of time with JavaScript stuff when you're using those semantic elements, particularly ones that are associated with events to, uh, to, you know, interact with your code. Um, so yeah, we, do you have any follow-up questions that? Cause. So, so basically you're kind of the, the trade-off there is you're trading a little bit extra CSS for a lot less JavaScript and, um, event listeners and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And ultimately I think you're saving yourself a lot of performance too. Um, or, a lot of performance debt, I should say, and um, making sure that you're not writing... Because when you're writing duplicative code, because key presses, you have to add a few more conditionals and you have to sort of format them and then you have to add, add an additional event listener. And if you think about doing that over and over again, I mean, that builds up, you know? So it's easier to just use a button and negate it with some CSS, probably way better from the performance standpoint too. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so you've written a couple awesome blog posts. I absolutely love your blog. Um, I subscribe to your Patreon because I, the content's so cool, um, which we'll <laughs> definitely put a link into the uh, show notes for that. But, Thank you. Um, so you have a couple articles that I, I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit. Um, the, the first one is, uh, so, so this podcast is kind of all about just everything that you do after you run create React app and like build your app, right? So you've got a bundle of code. Maybe it's not accessible. Maybe you're working towards that. Um, you have a, a post about some of the command line tools that you use um, to, to track some of that. I'd love to get into how you can implement those, what, what a good spot for them is, and um, just just how you use them. Sure. Yeah. So a lot of the accessibility uh, tooling is very much uh, testing stuff. So, um, for example, like automated testing uh, CLI tools, they're all really great. So it's one of those things where there's a lot of really nitty gritty accessibility errors that can kind of get cumbersome. Like, for example, missing, um, missing labels, missing alt text, stuff like that. Um, so I like to have these CLI tools running in the background, not so much for me, because quite frankly, I'm pretty good at not building accessibility issues into things, but I like doing it just to give other people um, something to learn from. So when I set things up, 
I usually will just go through what the basic default is. So it's usually not too, too hard to um, set things up. So I used to use Pally. Um, and it's one of those things that you can actually build it into your, um, your continuous integration. So I will usually have a CLI command that I'll create um, where it's test alley. And I'll just use the very default things. Um, because quite frankly, I the default is usually good enough. And you can customize things a little bit more deeply. In fact, I kind of actually want to do a follow-up blog post to that where I do go a little bit more into the nitty-gritty of those tools. But right now, basically what you do is just install it, do like the npm install of the package, and then put in an npm script. And um, and it ends up being pretty simple. So my preference right now is Pally, mostly because it's just what I have more experience in. Uh, Axe Core is the other one I talked about in that blog post. And I really want to go more into that because DeQ, which is um, the company that's behind Axe Core, is really like one of the leaders in the accessibility space. So I just, I haven't really gotten a chance to explore it as much as I would like to. Um, but from what I experienced so far is it's very, very easy to get set up. And most of them do, or both of them do very similar things. Um, but something that I actually would love to talk about aside from this is actually React testing library and how you can use that. Um, for accessibility too. I don't know if you want or if you're okay with me gearing on that because I think that's actually really powerful. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this conversation is completely freeform. So wherever that goes, that sounds awesome. Yeah. So something that I, I've i realized um, over the years and with experience and also just reading blog posts is manual accessibility testing ends up being way more important. So automated accessibility testing is something that when you have people who aren't quite as experienced with accessibility um, are on the team, making sure that they're not building in errors and catching them before uh, catching them before it gets reintroduced to the code base. Um, so that's why those tools are very important. However, um, a lot of accessibility is actually not just these rules, but also a user experience and these standards that come from user experience. So there's these, um, I, I always, I, I'm going to just spell it out, WAI ARIA uh, standards and best practices. And a lot of those um, have a lot of JavaScript that go into them and have a lot of interactivity, but they're not something where you're just like, oh, it has this attribute or it has an alt text. Like a lot of times you have to listen for certain events to fire and making sure that um, like you have to wait for an event to fire. And then when the event fires, it does something and you want to test to make sure that integration happened properly. Uh, I've been using uh, fire event to do things like catching statuses of tooltips, um, doing things with modals, making sure interactivity is done in an accessible way. And it's really cool because I mean, Ken C. Dodds probably has a much more eloquent way, eloquent way of describing this. But for me, it's just like it almost like captures the state before 
you fire this event. So for example, if I were to fire the event focus and something were to happen on focus, like um, a tooltip were to pop up, for example, I would be able to check it before the focus and check it after. And I love being able to do that because it makes me feel a lot safer. And um, the nice thing about testing is being able to go to sleep at night knowing that you're not going to get a morning panic about this bug that you already solved or regression. So when you're when you're um, doing something like that, it's a lot or when you're creating tests like that, for example, it's really helpful to have that gut check so that nobody else introduces that issue too. So that's why I kind of like a combination of both React testing library and the static testing tools. Um, so yeah, that's, I, I definitely want to do a blog post on React testing library and how I've used that in the past, but I just, so many things to do, still, <laughs> as you know. Oh yeah. No, yeah, that sounds really cool. I actually haven't messed with um, the React testing library stuff very much. I, I think it's it's pretty similar to like Enzyme and some of those other libraries, right? Yeah, I actually have a confession, and that's that I've never deeply touched Enzyme. I've touched it a couple of times, but those were already written tests. I've never written a test with Enzyme on my own. There's a lot of gotchas. Um, maybe someday yeah. I'll do an episode on, on here on uh, Enzyme testing, but... Yeah, there, there's a lot of gotchas with Enzyme and, and um, just like getting things to mount properly. And I don't know, there, that's a whole other conversation. But <laughs> yeah, um, it does sound that. like I mean, I mean, I think um, there's a really cool like aspect of this where once you've kind of done some of the upfront work, um, a lot of this stuff becomes easier to test and, and easier to use. Right. If you're building a UI library and you're already writing unit tests, just mm -hmm. throw one in that has the accessibility stuff. I really like yeah. that idea. Um, and then having like Pally and all of that in uh, CI and CD, right? That's that's really cool. Yeah, I think there's also I haven't personally done this, but I know that there's also um, just a just axe uh, package. So it's like just dash axe. And I think you can actually integrate that as well with React testing library. I prefer using uh, using those tools, but, um, or using the like Pally or the, just the CLI tools. But at the same time, it might actually be better for certain, like certain CI or I'm sorry, uh, certain UIs. I almost said CI, CI, UI, <laughs> all the eyes. <laughs> yeah. Lots um, of acronyms. Yeah. Lots of acronyms. Um, but like for certain UI, uh, UIs, it might actually be preferable to have, uh, have it all within the testing um, folder instead of doing static tests. But to each their own, I haven't really figured out the perfect formula of what's the best. Because for me, when I thought about using Jess-X, I was like, why wouldn't you just run Jess.X? But there might be, I think it, enough thinking back on that, it might be better because of the component, the componentized part of it. Um, so yeah. I now that makes me want to go play with that, but I haven't personally <laughs> done it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm in the middle of this podcast. Now I want to go play, but right. one, thing, one thing at a time. <laughs> so. Um okay. So you you also mentioned a little bit um the WAI ARIA states and that kind of stuff. I know you have a mm -hmm. few posts on those. Um can you give just like a little overview of, of what that is and maybe like 
kind of the best way to go learn those? Um, is there, are there resources that you really like for learning those ARIA states? Sure. Um, so quite frankly, ARIA is confusing as hell. Um, and a lot of the things that people seem to get caught up with um, when they're talking about accessibility and they get stuck on are these ARIA states and they're, they can be very confusing. But the best way that I can even like tell people to learn about them, quite frankly, if you look through the documentation, it might be kind of daunting. So what I try to really do in my blog post is actually show people what's going on with the screen reader because a lot of those um, ARIA states are for screen readers specifically. So for me, I had so many aha moments when I looked at all these ARIA um, attributes and just literally went through it with a screen reader to find out what each of them did. So when I was getting myself, when I was like learning more about them, I had to have that aha moment to say, oh, this is literally what it's announcing whenever I have an ARIA state. So for example, ARIA expanded, which is one that I see one of the most frequently used ones, it, at least with state, is it'll announce some, whether something is expanded or collapsed based off of the true or false state. Um, so once I, once I learned that, I was like, oh, okay, that makes so much more sense. And then when I started reading through documentation, I had a little bit more clarity but it can be super daunting to go through the documentation and read through it and read through all the standards because all you really think about is all the things you're doing wrong instead of understanding why certain states are announced different ways. I don't know if that makes sense, but... Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, it's really interesting. Yeah, I, I've read a little bit of the ARIA documentation and it is, uh, especially like if you get into the... Um, like the W3 documentation for what ARIA states should be and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's a lot. Um, yeah. I actually, I recently just found this really cool resource. Um, it's like, uh, ally nutrition, um, or something, but it, it's basically like ARIA states for typical UI components broken down into like, what should it do on focus? What should it do when you click on it? Like what should you do, uh, when it's tabbed to by a screen reader and, that I found really helpful, just very broken down. Like this is what the state should be. And this is where we should go. Uh, you know, when you click on it and when you hit a right arrow or enter or space or any of that stuff. Interesting. I actually haven't seen that. So you'll have to send that over to me. Yeah, yeah definitely. I'm very will. curious to play with that and look at it. Um, because quite frankly, a lot of, a lot of the reason why my blog came about from like why I just, Hey all, this is Conlon from the future. We had some minor technical difficulties here. We picked back up on the conversation, but got a little sidetracked uh, and didn't really get back to that. So sorry. Cool. Okay. So anyway, we'll continue on. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Um, technical issues are always fun. Um, yes, might be. No, no, you're all good. So, um... So with that being said, there might be a little bit of a disconnect, which we <laughs> apologize for in terms of what we were talking about. Uh, but yeah, I think we were talking about, um, we were talking about ARIA states and ARIA components and just, and, uh, just with acts, which I was like, oh, now I want to go play with it. I think that's where we were, right? Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere around there. That's Sounds all good. Familiar. <laughs> I guess I, I think I was pretty much finished talking about that. So, if, you know, you can, we can always follow up on another question too. 
Sure. Yeah. Um, good question. So, uh, you know, I, I've heard you talk a little bit about um, in some of your posts and some of your other stuff. Um, it's like D3 um, and some like charts and things like that. Are, are there any special considerations that need to be made for uh, the, those kinds of things? Um, I have absolutely no experience with charts and graphs and accessibility. Um, and I'd love to hear a little bit about what you think about when going into that. Sure. So it's kind of, uh, I want to say it's tricky because it's not necessarily that it's tricky. It's just more that it takes a little bit more planning. Um, so something that I thought a lot about is, okay, when I'm doing accessibility stuff, what do what considerations do I want to take into account? And there are a few things that I thought I thought one actually I just thought of the diversity of abilities. So visual, cognitive, auditory, and hearing. So making sure oh and motor, my bad. Um so I want to make sure that I encapsulate all those abilities and make sure I'm accommodating for those. So the first thing that I usually do is I try to make sure that whatever the visualization is, I think about, like, for example, in a bar chart, I'm like, okay, a lot of times bar charts are very visual and there's axes or axes, whatever, can't say that plural very <laughs> well, but um, there are axes and it's not always clear where the bar chart lies depending on the range. So for example, if it's like zero to 1 million, it's going to be very hard to get that data value. So a lot of times what I'll do is make sure that I have a text element in there. So with D3, um, you're basically building an SVG and I always try to make sure that there are text elements. So the first thing that I always think about is can there be a text element in this SVG? Because uh, that's what gets announced to a screen reader is physical text. Excuse me. And then I think, okay, we're not just thinking about screen readers, but we're also thinking about people who might not be able to uh, distinguish the data. So um, in my, I only have one blog post about D3 right now, but what I ended up doing is having a little legend about what all those values were and having those in text values. So, for example, one bar had the value out or, or was in the legend, had the value in a text uh, element. Same thing with um, so like the label and the value rather. So a lot of times what happens is people don't actually put those values anywhere in the document and it is therefore useless to somebody who cannot see. Another thing I try to make sure I take into consideration is uh, colorblindness. Something that I've seen a lot with uh, with D three is that they rely too much on color for the meaning. So making sure that I'm using things like patterns or the colors, if I am using colors for meaning, they are super contrasted against each other. Um, and those are probably the two main ones that I think of because we do not want to rely purely on color for meaning. Um, it's a little bit easier when we have those text values because then we're giving somebody a fallback. But that's just a very good general rule is to make sure we're not relying on color for meaning. Um, the other thing I always think about is if somebody is tabbing through something, for example, with their keyboard and their tab key, 
will they have access to those data points in any way? So for a bar chart, sure. But for, I don't know, um, like a line chart or something like that, how are we going to give access or what those of what those points are? Are we going to have little tool tips that pop up on those on focus? Are we going to make sure that we when we focus on those uh, points, there's a little dot. And the thing about um, line graphs is, if I'm remembering correctly, I actually haven't played with D3 in a little bit. But um, if I remember, a line chart is basically um, a path element with a D attribute. Um, and those don't have any text either. So it's just since it's only like one uh, element, it ends up being kind of hard to deter like every single point. So it's like how it's basically just the user experience exercise. Like how is the best way to make this data available to the end user? And it's an extension of the normal, uh, the normal exercise of somebody who's just visually able and somebody who or is able in general. Um, so it's just an extra extension of a user experience exercise. And I find it kind of fun because I sort of have to go out of my comfort zone of all the things that I've been taught and really get my problem solving hat on. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, especially what you said at the end there. I definitely like feel that when I'm doing accessibility work um, and I don't do a whole lot of it, but I try to get it in where I can. Um, yeah, like it's almost a more interesting challenge than like, oh, just, you know, build a drop down. Like building mm -hmm. an accessible drop down is like an actual interesting issue. Um, whereas you can find a billion tutorials for how to build a drop down in React, but like building a good accessible drop down takes a little bit more thought. Yeah. And just thinking about things like, hey, uh, you know, is this a super complex drop down or is this a very basic one? Is it just a pop up button or is it not like just like asking those questions and thinking through it instead of just being like, oh, OK, I know what I need to do. And um, something that I learned from Tatiana Mack because she's a queen is stop centering on my own experience and kind of go out. Uh, of my circle of experience and think about how other people might interpret that data. And it's a very, very great way to think about it because you don't just want to center on your experience. You want to center on everyone's experience, especially your users. Yeah, that's awesome. I have not heard that quote. I uh, have to check that out. That's really cool. Yeah, I really highly uh, recommend her talk of um, how privilege defines performance. Uh, it was excellent. And I, I, I can send it to you, too, if you want to, like, link it in the show notes or just, like, listen to it yourself. But it is, like, really good. A lot of things that even as somebody who constantly thinks about these things, I definitely, I learned a lot from it. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. Um, yeah. And I will definitely link it in the show notes. Sweet. Cool. Yeah. Um, so as we're finishing out here just a little bit, um, we'll get into picks here in just a minute. I really only have um, like one more question. Um, so I know in a lot of the reading that I've done uh, on the ally stuff, um, I've read a lot about, it, you know, the different types of disability. And I think you, you mentioned them a little bit, like um, as far as like visual or motor and, and those kinds of things, um, but also like situational and um, uh, things like that, temporary and permanent. Um, you talk a little bit about maybe like how you can go about learning about the different kinds of um, disabilities that you should be supporting and all that kind of stuff. Where, where do you 
go to learn about the different levels of privilege that you were just kind of talking about? Yeah. So um, the hardest part, I think a lot is for, for a lot of people is they have a lot of trouble literally putting themselves in someone else's shoes unless they've been there. And quite frankly, even though I've always cared about this, I've, I don't think I really understood how challenging it could be until I, <laughs> I, this is actually a fun story. Well, not fun because it hurt, but like two years ago, I broke my right middle finger and you know, what would, what happened, what I realized is this is the finger that I use the most on my computer is my right middle finger. I use it the most when I'm navigating with my mouse pad. Um, cause I, I don't use a, a mouse. I just use a trackpad on a Mac. Um, I use it the most when I'm typing. Um, and I had to completely reformat it. And I was in so much pain, even when I did it the lightest tap. And there's, I, I think I learned how badly most sites are for keyboard users because I was using my keyboard more when I was doing that. And so even just, I don't want to say, oh, go break your finger. That's how you can, <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't do that. That's a, that's not something I would recommend, but I think the challenging thing is with those types of situation or with trying to really put yourself in each other's shoes is not necessarily trying to put each other's in, in each other's shoes, but actually I'll pull something else from that talk. Um, Tatiana talked about not so much empathy driven, but trust driven, trusting that people need it, listening to them and talking about. So for example, something I see a lot in GitHub projects is deprioritization of accessibility issues. Luckily, a lot of people aren't doing that as much as they used to, but I still see it happen. And they're like, hey, we don't have people to do that, which, yeah, okay, I get it. Like open source, you're not getting paid for it most of the time. It's really hard to prioritize it. But at the, again, you're you're centering around your experience. You're saying this is the bugs that I can focus on and these bugs aren't as important. And that I, I know, like, I don't want to get chewed out from like not understanding open source maintainers because <laughs> that is a very tough place to be. It's totally true. But w again, it's like they're centering on the abled experience and that is in and of itself is super, super problematic. And I think when it comes down to it, I, I wouldn't go so much into trying to empathize, even though that sounds kind of weird to say, don't empathize. I would just go with the default of trust. Um, I think that's actually one of the biggest takeaways that I got from Tatiana's talk. So hopefully I don't <laughs> ruin it from, for you, but, um, like empathy is great, but you can't truly empathize with anybody who you really can't physically put them in their shoes. Even me, like there's, I, I, I'm a compassionate person, but, um, as of right now, I'm visually abled. I can walk, I can use both my hands. I don't have bad hearing, you know? So I, for the most part, even with situational stuff, I, I, for the most part, can control my settings. So um, it's a little bit harder for me to kind of go through because something circling back to the beginning is I, I kind of don't, this, this sounds bad. I don't care about developers who don't give a crap. Like if they don't care, I'm not trying to teach them. I'm trying to teach the developers who do care. Um, and I don't want to tell people to 
it's just not something I really want to do. I don't want to be like, Hey, I'm going to convince you to give a crap about people. So I don't know. That's not, I'm not sure if that's the best answer or not, but no. Yeah, that was awesome. I, um, I've never thought about that. I, I tend to think of myself as a very empathetic person, but yeah. that's a really good point. Yeah. Empathy only goes so far. Um, you know, you, you, you kind of at some point just have to trust that the thing that people are telling you is a problem is a problem. Um, I also think it's really interesting. Um, it, we were talking about like the the um, prioritization in in GitHub projects, and it is it's it's very much like a um, an ableistic way of looking at that. Um, because even if you just want to get like fully technical about it, the you know performance increase in your app that speeds it up by 0.1 milliseconds honestly is not going to save as much time as just adding like keyboard support for the most number of users. So. That's super yeah. interesting. Yeah. Well, and the thing about it too is like a lot of times those things go hand in hand. And the reason why it wouldn't is because you didn't think of it from the start, which I'm not going to, I'm trying to kind of understand that not everybody knows about accessibility to begin with. And that's why I'm trying to teach people about it. But when it comes down to it, if you don't build accessibility in mind at first, that's when it really t becomes a higher scope issue. Um, then that's why, for me, I get so frustrated by these because I'm like, if you just cared at the beginning, then you, instead of deprioritizing it as a as an edge case, then we wouldn't even have these issues. It's anyway. That's me ranting a little bit. <laughs> no, I I mean that's that's a large portion of kind of why I wanted you as the first person on this podcast was yeah. I, I do think that it's really important. You know, a lot of people start out, they, you know, they use create react app, they get their react app running and then they're like, I'm done. I did it. And then there's all these other things. And accessibility is one of those, like, it should really be like your first thing. Yeah. Um, so Agreed. yeah, I, love I, that. I obviously agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm like, I'm like, what if I just like said I disagree with that? People would probably be so stunned. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be so confused. I'd yeah. be so confused. But no, I, I actually do agree with that. Just to clarify, in case anybody picked it up <laughs> on that part of the recording and we're super weirded out with it. But something um I I know that the that accessibility is it's definitely not as hard of a fight as it used to be, but it's still a fight. I still see people who are tech leads who are saying that it's not important and they prioritize their developers experience over the experience of others. And if you want to get me mad, you should tweet that me at me at Twitter and it'll make me really mad. So please don't, because I don't feel like I'm bullying, but that that's what really gets under my gears is not so much lack of knowledge, but lack of lack of trying to decenter your own experience. Like we want to make sure that we are trying to expand our circle of experience and not just focus on ourselves and focus on the developer experience and developer experience is super important. I love it when I have a positive developer experience. Um, but at the same time, I, I think for me, a lot of times I hear people say, well, you don't empathize for developers. And I'm like, have you met me? I'm like, I really care a lot about the people I work with and the developers that I work with. But when it comes down to it, if you are so unwilling to trust the experience of other people, then, you know, a developer experience goes out the window for me, at least, because I'm like, I don't actually want to work with you. I have a negative developer experience on my team. It has nothing to do with tooling, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So 
but yeah, no, uh, any other follow-up questions with that? I kind of rambled on a little bit. No, but... you're good. I, there's been so much awesome information here. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to this like 50 times just to, to yeah. get it all out. Um, yeah. cool. Well, uh, I don't really have any more questions right now, um, but I would love to know if there's anything you've got coming up. Where can people come see you or, or find out more about you or your blog or really anything? Just Or if you have any pics or anything you want to share. Yeah, so, uh, well, uh, I guess I should plug my blog. I mean, I'm sure it's already in the show notes, but um, I write there. Uh, I try to ri- I'm slowing down on how often I write. I'm trying to write at least once every other week, but I do really, really try to do shoot for once a week, but life just gets super busy. Um, and yeah, another thing I would love to plug is if people have anything they're confused about, I'm always looking for new topics to write about and new topics to learn about if I don't know anything about it. So feel free to uh, tweet me at my Twitter little cope. So I L or whoa, I L I T T L E K O P E. I definitely know how to spell. Um, <laughs> and the other plug that, you know, is super timely right now is like, uh, me, uh, Ali Spittle and Kelly Vaughn and Emma Vedekin just launched their own podcast. Um, and we're really excited about it. I mean, super exhausted, because it's really tiring launching a podcast, things you learn. But um, yeah, we're really excited about that. So that's the other plug I have. Awesome. Yeah, I uh, I already listened to the first episode and I am super pumped for the next one. So yeah, uh, it, it, we're excited too. It's kind of, I, I'm like, I'm very interested to see how it evolves. And I'm super excited with how, what we've recorded so far. So that's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And good luck with this one. I'm excited to hear more about this. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Um, Hopefully we can have you back on sometime soon and maybe we can talk a little bit more about uh, accessibility or something else if you want. Yeah. Awesome. No, I I love talking about all the things. So as it's pretty obvious, I am a chatter. I it's super great. I had a good, good interview. So yeah. Awesome. Great. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Of course. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to tune in next time for React Delivery. 